confirmed. Today, to begin with, I do want to thank all of you for being with us today here at the Eden Campus. I am so grateful that you have made the decision to be here with us. If you're visiting with us, uh, we extend you a very warm and cordial welcome. We're glad that you're here. For those of you that are at the River Campus, we are so thankful for you, and we love you, and we pray that God will speak to you today as well. For all of those that are watching online, we have a lot of people that watch us online. We want to welcome them, and for those that are listening, by radio, we want to welcome them as well. Today, I want to remind you that we're in a teaching series called The Power of His Resurrection. The teaching series, The Power of His Resurrection. When I use that term, it almost seems real motivational that we would use those words, the power of his resurrection. How many of y'all believe and understand this, that our God's alive? Can I get an amen? We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that is alive. And thank God, we know that Jesus went on the cross and died for our sins. He was buried on the third day. He rose again. And I don't know about y'all, but I am so thankful for that. If you're thankful for that, let's give God praise today. He is good. God is good. Thank the Lord for that. I want you to take your Bible and open it up to the book of Philippians chapter 1 or chapter 3 and we're going to be looking at verse number 10 today. And as we study the Word of God, we're reminded that the series that we're in, Paul reminds us that we are to experience the power of God's resurrection in our life. And Paul writes to the church at Philippi to encourage them. And in that encouragement, he wants them to rejoice. He wants them to have a victory over life. He wants them to have contentment. He wants them to experience fulfillment in, his li in their life. And so Paul writes these words, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death. Now, when we look there together, I want us to go back at the beginning of that verse and let's all shout it out together just in the beginning of it. Are you ready? Here we go. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How many of y'all would say, sign me up for that, man? I want to know him and experience the power of God in my life. And then the next part of that verse says, and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Now I want you to take your pens out and your paper out and I want you to write down four things that I believe is so important uh, for us to know about in the beginning of this message today. First of all, when we think about knowing him, last Sunday we discovered that there are four ways to know the Lord. And I want you to write these down. First of all, you can know him vaguely. Uh, that is, you just know him by name. People say the name of Jesus, and you say things like this, Oh, I've heard of him. Uh, maybe he's someone that you think of that, that's, uh, you know, that was born off over there in Israel. And, and maybe you've heard a little bit about him. Maybe you say, well, you know what? We celebrate his birth at Christmas. And you know him vaguely, and you can know him that way. And then secondly, write this down. You can know him biblically. And there's a lot of people that know him biblically. As a matter of fact, we have people that study the, the Bible, and they know Jesus biblically. When they think about knowing Jesus biblically, they, they kind of know him as a Bible character. Uh, that is, he's somebody in the Bible that you study. Uh, he's no different than Moses. He's no different than Abraham. He's no different than, uh, than the three Hebrew children. And you, you know him biblically. And, and when you study the Bible, you go, oh, I know him. I know Jesus. He's the one that, uh, that healed the blind and made the lame walk and raised the dead. And he's 
the one that fed the, 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 the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fishes. And man, uh, you know all the stories about him, but the Bible says that, that even the demons in hell know him. And when, when they speak his name, they tremble. In other words, knowing him biblically is not good enough. Uh, the Bible says that you can be ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, you can know a lot about Jesus from the Bible, but that's not where you want to stop. Uh, we can know him vaguely, we can know him biblically, and then we learned last Sunday that you can know him personally. Write that down. You can know him in a personal way. In other words, he's the, he's the Savior uh, that comes out of the Bible and he gets out of your head and he comes in your heart. Can I get an amen? And you know him personally. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I don't know about y'all, but I know him personally. Amen. How many of you are thankful that you know him personally? Amen. I am so thankful that I know the Lord in a personal way. Away. But then there's a fourth way that you should know him. That is, you should know him spiritually. Uh, when you come to know him personally, God wants to take you uh, to a whole nother level. And he wants you to know him spiritually. And when you know him spiritually, God is moving you and growing you and developing you and, and being more intimate in your life. In other words, you go from faith to faith. Uh, you know him better today than you did yesterday. And, and the more you know him, the sweeter he becomes. Amen. And so you, you know that you can know him vaguely. You can know him biblically. And you can know him uh, personally. And you can know him uh, spiritually. But, but when we think about this, uh, we all want that. We all want to have the power of the resurrection living on the inside of us. I, I don't know how many of y'all would say amen to this, but I want to live the abundant life. Amen. How many of you would say, sign me up for that power? Can I get an amen? I want that victory in my life. I want that power. But how many of you understand this? Before there can be a resurrection, there's got to be some suffering. There's got to be some suffering. It's got, you, there's going to be some suffering in your life. When I thought about that, I thought, man, you know what? Praise God, Jesus rose from the dead. But how many of you understand, before he rose from the dead, he suffered greatly. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that, that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. And Jesus reminded us that if we're going to live this life in this world, that we're going to suffer persecution. And he said things like this, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. And Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And when you think about this, we know that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he bowed in that Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he sweated until his sweat became as great drops of blood. The word Gethsemane means olive press. It means that, that you're pressed out. And Jesus was in that garden. And we know that he suffered in that garden greatly. And we know that, that he sweat that great drops of blood. And Jesus suffered at the hands of the soldiers. And, and he was beaten and he was slapped and he was hit. And he was spit on and he was scourged. And there was a crown of thorns that was put on his head. And he died on a cross for our sins. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to tell you something. When I think about that, that was suffering. Amen. And before he was able to be resurrected, he had to go through some suffering. The Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable into his death. And I read that and I thought, you know what? When I think about that, uh, I want us to think about the fellowship, the koinonia, the, the, the fellowship that, that we have with him. And the Bible says that we can know him and we can know the power of his resurrection, but then you'll notice the fellowship of his what? Suffering. Everybody, let's say the word suffer. Everybody, let's say the word suffer. Uh, say it together with me. What? Suffer. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like to suffer. I, I, I don't like to suffer. I don't like pain. I don't like to hurt. I, don't, I, I would say to God, God, sign me up for this knowing you thing. Sign me up for that. Sign, sign me up, Lord, for this, for this power thing. But fellowship in your suffering, I'm not interested. I'm just not interested in that. When I thought about that, I thought, wow. When we think about suffering, it's really important that you write down three things that's not on your outline. But I want you to write it down. How do we suffer? Where do we suffer? This is not point number one. This is free. This is the bonus. Uh, first of all, we suffer physically. There, there's people all over this auditorium that you say, Brother Jackie, uh, I'm hurting. My body's suffering. There's people that, that, that's got cancer. There's people that, that's had all kinds of physical problems. And, and being in this world, we're going to suffer physical things. And I can't tell you how many people that I deeply love and care about that, that they've had to go through hard times physically. They've suffered the physical ailments that, that they have in their bodies. And I know that there are people here today that you're hurting and you've got, you've got problems that you deal with physically and you're going, man, I'm suffering there. So, some of you have physical problems that, that, that you didn't sign up for, man. You, didn't want, you don't want that. You, you, don't, you, don't, you're not, you don't like that. But we're suffering physically. And then secondly, we suffer mentally. For some of you that battle discouragement and depression, you didn't ask for that. You didn't sign up to be discouraged or battle depression and anxiety and all this stuff. And, and you battle these mental deals. And, and man, there's struggles going on. There's suffering in, in your mind. And, and there's people sitting in this room. If, if you were to be honest, you would, there's hundreds of you that would say, you know what, Brother Jack, I battle. I'm struggling in my mind. I'm suffering in my mind. I mean, I think, I'm thinking about things and, and I'm struggling with the hurt that I've experienced in my heart and the pain that I have in my life. And every day of my life, Pastor, I get up and, and I fight this mental battle and I, I fight this war that's going on in my mind and, and I, I struggle with it and I try to put this stuff in my past. And man, I was wounded when I was younger and, and my heart was broken and I battled this mental suffering. And then thirdly, there's a spiritual suffering. A spiritual suffering that a lot of people go through. A, str a struggle spiritually that, that you battle with and you struggle with and you, you think about that. And Paul teaching us in Philippians that it, it's in the suffering that you have a much deeper, intimate relationship with your father. And I wished I, I, wished I understood it better, but, but maybe, maybe it's because when we're suffering, y'all, we pray more. Can I get an amen? When we're going through hard times, 
we trust Him more. When we're battling battles, we change more. And maybe, maybe we value more. Or maybe we love more. Or maybe we hope more. But according to the Apostle Paul, the journey to the resurrecting life, we must pass through the place of suffering. Why do, why do some people suffer more than other people suffer? I don't know why. But maybe it's like Fanny Crosby who, who was blinded, who had blinded eyes, who, who wrote the song, Perfect Submission, All is at Rest, I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. Maybe, maybe it was like a little girl that, uh, that I wrote a, read an article about a few months ago. And, and she wrote this article, a girl who was injured in an automobile accident and a shut-in for 13 years who wrote, During these 13 years, the Lord has done glorious things. First, he saved me. It was through being cut off from the normal affairs of a young person's life that the Lord could get me to listen to him. For 13 years, his sufficiency has become my praise. Maybe it's a woman that I read about for 14 years was bedridden with arthritis and her knees were drawn up and toward her face and her hands were drawn and twisted and she asked for a world map to be hung by her bedside to which every morning she started off her day by taking a prayer trip around the world as she looked at the world map. Maybe it's like Joni Eckerson Tata who, who, who launched the theology of suffering at Southwestern Theological Seminary. The young lady who at the age of 17 broke her neck in a diving accident and became confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. The lady who now paints by putting the paintbrush in her mouth because she cannot use her hand who said, and I quote this, suffering became like a sheepdog snapping at my heels to drive me down the road to Calvary into a deeper presence with Jesus, the place of the crucifixion to where my flesh resists to go. Maybe God puts us in those places to push us more into Him. Maybe God allows those things to come into our life because He wants to shade some of us off of us. Maybe, maybe God... Maybe God's smarter than we are, y'all. Can I get an amen? Maybe God knows what it's going to take to get you into Him. Maybe God needs to shut out some things out of our life so that we decide, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. When I thought about that and thought about suffering... I wanted you to think about this with me. Point number one, what is the categories of Christian suffering? Why do, why do Christians suffer? And what is the category of these sufferings that we've got to go through in our life? And by the way, your suffering can make you bitter or it can make you better. There's a lot of people that get bitter when they go through hard times and, and they, get, they, get, they get angry and they get bitter and they, the, the devil uses it to turn them against everybody and everything. And maybe it's a hurt that you had in your heart. Maybe somebody disappointed you. Maybe, maybe you were hurt and you're suffering because of that and all of a sudden you've allowed the devil to make you bitter rather than letting God make you better. 
And one of the categories of Christian suffering in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, if any man suffer as of what, y'all? A Christian. Now the word suffer means persecuted and, and let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If any man suffer as a Christian, and by the way, just because you're a Christian does not mean that it's going to be easy peasy from now till you get to heaven. Amen. It means that it's possible that you're going to go through some tough days and some hard knocks along the journey of life. And the Bible says if any man suffer as a Christian, don't let him be ashamed, but let him say this with me, everybody. Glorify God on this behalf. When I thought about that, I thought, well, what are the, what are the categories of Christian suffering? And the first one is this, present world suffering. How many of y'all understand this? We live in a world that's fallen. We live in a world that's suffering. And by the way, you might want to write this down. It's not going to get any better. We, we think about, man, we just got to make the world a better place. I'm telling you, friend, listen to Brother Jackie. It's not going to get any easier for us. It's not going to get any better for us. Jesus himself said, in this world, in John 16, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have what, y'all? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Can I get an amen? amen. But Jesus lets us know. That as long as we're in this world, because of the fallen nature of the world, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden and sin came to this world, all of a sudden the whole world begins to suffer. And because we're in this world, we are going to suffer. Can I get an amen? There's going to be disease. There's going to be catastrophes. There's going to be those things in our life that, that when we look at it, we go, man, this world is a mess. And yes, it is. And we're presently in this world. But Paul says in the book of Romans in verse number 8 for I reckon that the suffering of this present world are not compared worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us can I get an amen in other words we're not going to stay here forever ladies and gentlemen can I get an amen? amen but as long as we're in this world there's going to be suffering I wish I could tell you differently I wish I could say that's not true but as long as we're in this world there's going to be tough times and hard times and there's going to be those valleys and there's going to be that garbage that we deal with and that junk we deal with and that pain that we deal with and, and all the catastrophes we deal with and the struggles that's going to be in this world because we're in this world, present world suffering. And then there's a second category of suffering for the Christian and that is punitive suffering. Punitive is a legal term. It means that you have to pay for the damage of the loss. And it's God's productive discipline. How many of you understand this? God will wear you out. Can I get an amen? Anybody ever heard this before from your parents? This is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. Now, I don't know where that came from because it was painful for me. But the fact of the matter is, we, when we are Christians and we don't do what God tells us to do, y'all, God will wear us out. God does, not, God does not mind striping our legs, does he? And I'm going to tell you, sometimes God will put you flat on your back so the only place you can look is straight up. Can I get an amen? 
When we disobey God, God will discipline us. And, and we need to know that. He disciplines us because He loves us and He cares about us. And, and God will discipline. And I'm going to tell you something. You need to remember this. When God takes His switch out to us, we get a big ouch in our life. God knows how to induce pain in our life to correct us. And if you've got a kids, if you've got, how many of y'all got any children? Can I see your hand? Uh, listen, if you're worth your salt at all, you wear them out every now and then, amen. Because they need to be corrected. They need to be corrected. They need to be disciplined. And God loves you enough to discipline you and is suffering because of that. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, we're reminded whom the Lord, what, guys, loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. For if you endure the chastening, God deals with you as a son. For what the son is, he whom the father chastens not. But if you are without chastening, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and you're not son. In other words, you don't belong to him. God will correct those that belong to him. Some of you right now, you're going through pain and suffering because you know what? You, you haven't been following God the way you should. And God knows how to lay the rod to you and make, make pain in your life so that he can get you where he wants you to be. And there's that present world suffering, and there's that punitive suffering, God's discipline. And then there's a third one, and that's progressive suffering. Progressive suffering. You know, sometimes you go through tough times of suffering, not because God is whipping you, and not just because you're in this present world, but my friends, sometimes God wants to progress you. Sometimes God wants to promote you. And the, the way God does that sometimes is he causes us to suffer. By the way, you need to remember what I'm about to tell you. Your suffering may not be because you're out of the will of God. Your suffering may be because you're right in the middle of the will of God. Your hard times may not be because you've done something wrong. It may be because you're doing everything right. And God wants to do more in you. If you'll notice that next little point there, God's greater grace. God's greater grace. When we talk about, when we talk about present suffering, it's God's greater grace that he uses to promote us into his deeper presence. His deeper presence. I'm going to let you all fill out all those blanks because I know it will freak you out if you don't have them. When we talk about progressive suffering... Uh, shout this out, out loud with me. What is that? Everybody tell me. It's what? God's greater grace that he uses to promote us into his deeper presence. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to suffer to get to know God better? Would you be willing to go through a hard time so that you can know him better? Would you be willing to say to God, God, whatever you have to do to me, whatever you have to cause me to go through, I'll do it if I can get closer to you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's not easy for me to sign up for. Now, let's look in our Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to open your Bible there. Because it is 
a blessing to study this. In, first, in 2 Corinthians, we find an interesting thought about the great apostle Paul. And when you look at verse number 7 of chapter 12, are you there? Say amen. Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now let's stop right there at verse number 7 and ask ourselves this question. Y'all remember the great apostle Paul who was the follower of the Lord and you remember that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and you remember he gave his heart to Christ and God used him in an abundant way and God showed him incredible revelations. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul, Paul writes and says, man, I even knew a man that went to the third heaven. In other words, he knew a lot about God. But you know what God did? God gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he wouldn't be prideful about all he was. He wouldn't be prideful about being exalted above his own measure. Do you know that sometimes God will do whatever he needs to do to knock that pride out of your life, to knock that, that sense of self-worth out of your life? God, God, knows how to, God knows how to put us in a place so that we don't get too big for our britches. So, so that we don't think we're all that. Because you know what? If we think about it for a minute, there are some people that can strut while they're sitting down. They, they don't even have to stand up to be proud of who they are. They don't, they don't even have to. Look, they're just, boy, they just ooze with arrogance and pride and man, all this stuff. I'm going to tell you, my friend, if you've got a good dose of arrogance and pride, don't be shocked that God may say, you know what? I might give you a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some people say it's his bad eyesight. Some people have all kinds of theories about it. Theologians for years have argued, what is Paul's thorn in flesh? The point is, it don't matter what it was. But I'm going to tell you this, and you need to write this down. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. And if God has to put a thorn in your flesh to cause you to suffer to get you where he wants you to be, he don't have a problem doing that. The Bible says that Paul said, I have this thorn in the flesh, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse number 8, for this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And everybody read verse 9 with me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect. Where, church? Most gladly, therefore, I would, I would real, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. How many of you understand this? Sometimes suffering is not because you're out of God's will, but because you're in God's will, and God wants to promote you to another level. And it's his grace that's at work in your life. Now I want you to look at the next point because it is so amazing. Progressive suffering is the undeserved, the undeserved pain 
and hardship. I don't deserve this hurt. I don't deserve this pain. I didn't do anything to get this. But God, God's got a plan for our life. And progressive suffering is the undeserved pain or hardship or difficulty that God periodically allows into the life of the believer for the purpose of accelerating spiritual growth and demonstrating His grace. Now don't miss that. Write all that down. Progressive suffering is the undeserved pain, hardship, or difficulty that God periodically allows into the life of the believer for the purpose of accelerating spiritual growth and demonstrating His grace. Do you have all that? Say amen. amen. Let's read it out loud together. Progressive suffering is the undeserved pain, hardship, or difficulty that God periodically allows in the life of the believer for the purpose of accelerating spiritual growth and demonstrating His grace. Paul says His grace is sufficient. Can I get an amen? amen. Wasn't because he did something wrong. God just wanted to move him forward. And God sent this thorn in the flesh, this difficulty. I want you to write down the next thing. Every time God allows you to enter into progressive suffering, you're entering into the realm of greater grace living. Every time you go into a place that you go, I, didn't deserve, I don't deserve this. I don't know why I'm here. Every time you go into that place, you're entering into a spiritual realm. In other words, God is taking you to a deeper place where he can show you more grace. He can show you his love, his kindness, his goodness. He, he takes you there. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you realize that he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, now, let's think about progressive suffering as you look at point, the next point. Progressive suffering. That's when God is moving us and shaping us and, and moving us into another realm. And I want you to write down three things. It, first of all, it's not intended. It's not intended to hurt the believer, but rather to what? Advance him. Advance him. How many of y'all remember while you're filling in the blanks? How many of y'all remember when, when I was a little boy and probably when you was a little girl, a little boy, and I remember when I was a little boy, I would cry. Man, I must cry at night. And I would cry because my legs were killing me, man. They were killing me. And I would cry, and I would cry, and I'd go, Mama, my legs is killing me. And she'd say, Boy, uh, that's just growing. How many of y'all remember that? And I was thinking, I don't want to grow. I don't want to grow. And man, if that's growing, if that's what it takes to grow, just leave me little, man. But you know what? I had to go through that pain in order for God to advance me. I, I know it hurts. I know it's tough. But you're going through growing pains. And God's not wanting to hurt you. But he wants to advance you. And I thought about that. And I thought, man, you know what? My mama really knew what she was talking about. It was growing pains. And then God's strength always precedes the suffering. 
God, God will give you strength prior to the suffering. He, he knows how to do that. He knows how to muscle us up in our lives so that we're prepared to suffer. Uh, I can't tell you how many people that I've sat by their bedside and dying and, and they're ready for that because God has shown them grace for this time. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse number, verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's causing the power to rest upon him? The suffering. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches and necessities, in persecution and distress for Christ's sake. Everybody say it with me. For when I I am weak, then I am strong. You know how, you know why that's true? Because God's grace has preceded the suffering. And people look at you and they go, how are you doing it? How are you making it through? And you always say, by his grace. Can I get an amen? And then the next thing is important. Progressive suffering will always, always magnify the power and glory of Christ in your life. It will always magnify the power and the glory of Christ in your life. When I think about verse 9, that he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we're going through that, just go back to that point right there, Bethany. Just go back there. I want us to see that C again. Progressive suffering, somebody tell me, will always magnify the power and glory of Christ in our life. When I think about that, I think about people that I've seen go through that. And I've asked myself, how do they do that? How, how, do, they, how do they make it through that? And it's, it's all because God's power and God's glory is on their life. I, I was thinking the other day about some of the dear saints of God that, that's been in this church. That, man, they, they, they went through this, this suffering, but, but they were so strong in the suffering. And, and they were so, so determined in the structure. I think about Miss Sandra Brooks, who had an automobile accident for 16 years. She was confined to a feeding tube and... Her little frail body was so little and frail, and she would show up at church every Sunday. She sat right back there with a walker, and uh, periodically when I'd give the invitation, you would see her move her walker out. She'd, she'd walk her way down the aisle, and she'd come to the altar. And I was amazed how this woman keeps going. How, how in the world do you... Do you, do you make that decision that, that you just go when you're suffering and you didn't deserve it? You didn't, you didn't do anything to have that automobile accident. But all of a sudden, when you look at her, she magnified the power and glory of God in her life, didn't she? You could just see that. I was with her in the last days of her life, and she said she couldn't hardly talk, and she said, Brother Jackie, his love is holding me. And his peace is surrounding me. And I thought, wow, you know what that is? That's the grace of God. It's nothing but the grace of God. She didn't deserve to suffer, but she was suffering. What are the results of 
this progressive suffering. As you look at the, at the bottom lines, what, what are the results? What's the results when you're suffering and you're going through this hard time and, and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know what, what to do about this. And Adam, just come on with me, Adam, and, and play a second. There's th two results I want you to have real quickly. First result is the tranquility of the soul. The tranquility of the soul. Uh, it is well with my soul. Though peace like a river, peace like a river, that even though you're walking through hell itself and you're hurting so bad, and you're struggling and you're fighting and you're, you're in this war and you want it to stop, but it won't stop. You cry yourself to sleep sometimes. But deep down in your heart, there is a peace that God gives you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, persecution, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. The next verse says it like this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned that in whatever state I'm in, therewith I'll be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am. Instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do, come on, help me, y'all. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me tranquility of the soul tranquility of the soul that knows watch this God will help me through this I don't know how and I don't know when but God's on my side I, I don't I don't think I did anything to deserve the pain and the suffering but his grace is sufficient and I know this I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me, God. I've got peace like a river. And then secondly, radical Christianity. Radical Christianity. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 11 says, I become a fool in glory. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest of possible, though I be nothing. You know, a lot of times we think about radical Christianity when everybody's, woo, 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 boy, everybody's, up, you know, just jumping up and down and boy life's good and yada 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 can I tell you this radical Christianity to me is a Sandra Brooks that had to fight whatever ounce of energy she had to get up and come to church but she was faithful Ra radical Christianity to me is not who's jumping pews 
Radical Christianity to me is a Joel Masters that after his wife was laid to rest, he was back in church the next service. Radical Christianity to me is uh, Miss Martin who buried her husband. She's back in church serving the Lord. Radical Christianity to me is this big old ugly boy right here, his beautiful wife, Kathy, that buried their baby, that, that had to go to the funeral of their little baby, Haley. And you're back in church, faithful, serving the Lord. That's radical Christianity to me. Radical Christianity to me is when you fight a fight that you did not ask for. You, you didn't ask for it, but you keep on putting one foot in front of the other and you keep serving Jesus and you don't quit. That's radical Christianity to me. Can I get an amen? Radical Christianity to me is Charlie and his family, whose mom was burned up in a house fire, fire two weeks ago. And you're back in church serving God, Charlie and family. That's radical Christianity to me. Radical Christianity is those people that when their heart is breaking and they say, I won't quit on God, that's when they know that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. And God's got a purpose and God's got a plan. Do I understand all of it? No. Do I want to sign up for pain? No. Do I like a broke, my heart broken? No. We've suffered our own problems. In our own family, we went through all kinds of things. I buried my mom. I buried my dad. I buried my brothers. I buried my sister. We've had two murders in our family. My wife went through cancer. I've watched her lose all of her hair. I've watched her so weak that she couldn't hold her head up. I've watched her throw up over and over and over again. But yet on Sunday, sat in that pew and was faithful to the Lord. That's radical Christianity to me. Radical Christianity is what God does for us. God does not waste your pain. God does not waste our suffering. Sometimes, sometimes God uses it to knock off some things out of our life that we need knocked off. Sometimes God uses it to promote us to Him, a deeper place with Him. And I want to ask you today to bow your heads with me all over this place. As we bow our heads, our ministers are going to come. And you may be hearing 
you don't know Jesus, and today you'd like to invite him in your heart. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to invite you to stand and come to this altar and tell one of these men, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I want to be baptized. I want to invite him into my heart. And if you're here and that's your decision, I want you to go ahead and stand up and come down to the altar and say, I want to give the Lord my life. God bless you. If you're here and you want to join the church, come on, right now. God bless you, man. God bless you, sir. Today is your day. Come right here. They'll help you, man. They'll take care of you. Or maybe today you're going through a hard time and you just want to come and pray. And you would say, God, I'm suffering and I'm hurting and I want to go pray today. I'm going to invite you to boldly stand up and come. All over this building, I'm going to invite you to come. Go right over there to Brother Stephen, boss. He'll take care of you. Brother Randy, if y'all just sing this song as people are coming all over this building, we invite you to come. Would you all stand with us and let's sing it together?